Hey, welcome back to the uh, Moving Forward with Young Voices. Glad to be here. Glad to be talking to uh, millennials, uh, Gen Zers, and getting their perspective on what's happening. I'm really excited about this next topic. Uh, I have uh, two uh, children attending public schools in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and um, it's been a disaster of uh, epic proportion. Just the school every day, it's a we're open, we're closed, we're not open, we're going to be closed next week. For some odd reasons, high school sports are still open. Um, My son plays hockey, but you can go to practice, but the locker rooms are going to be closed. Um, You know, we're going to play hockey skirmishes, but you can't have more than three people on the ice. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're trying to understand why are all these rules here? Why are schools open in some places and schools closed in other places? And uh, something that's emerging is the influence of teachers unions throughout this debate. We have Christian Bernard with us. He is the education uh, policy analyst with the Reason Foundation. I'm a big fan of what they do. Uh, Christian, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And let me ask you this. What role are teachers unions playing in the United States when it comes to should public schools be open or closed? Well, I think it's good to start with. Obviously, there are valid concerns about safety. Um, There's been some research on how um, frequently students pass the virus along and if they get serious symptoms. And so for young kids, there's actually not a high risk, but obviously with adults in the building as well, they're more at risk. Um, And so there are valid concerns about safety, but what we've seen is that there's kind of a moving target as far across the country, as far as what uh, precautions need to be taken to keep schools safe uh, for reopening. So, what we, we kind of are seeing now is that teachers unions, depending on their power, are able to leverage that power across the country to keep schools closed until they get certain safety demands met. But those safety demands vary. Um, interestingly, my, my colleague, Corey DeAngelis, just published a, a study on this very issue where he looked at um, 800 of the, or 830, I believe, of the largest school districts in the country. So they serve about 40% of the total public school population across the country, uh, over the country at these 800 school districts. And he looked at school reopening and closing decisions and, and the various variables that he thought might be a predictor, such as um, education level of, uh, of the area, um, race, gender, even political affiliation. And he found that the single biggest predictor of whether schools are staying closed across the country is not even any of those variables or even COVID caseloads uh, for that matter. But the biggest predictor is teacher union strength. Um, so what we're seeing is that the politics of this are really clouding the judgment. These decisions aren't really being made in an unbiased matter based on COVID risk and caseloads, but instead being made based on the political power of the teachers unions. Wow. And schools presumably exist for the best interest of the students, right? Not the teachers. 
what kind of factors are uh, the teachers unions demanding uh, before school can reopen? Do you have some highlights from that list? Yeah, they want, um, well, obviously masks and social distancing. They want certain assurances about the capacities of the building. So to make sure they're not, they don't have too many bodies in the building at any one time. Um, they also want work hour commitments uh, maintained. So if, say, a district wants to do kind of a mix of virtual and in-person learning, they want to make sure that's not going to um, place a lot of extra work on their plate. Um, they also want, I mean, air filtration systems uh, guaranteed to, you know, keep everything clean. They want additional staff for regular screening. Um, so generally, they want more resources that are specifically directed towards uh, all these precautionary measures. So those are the safety demands they're making. But I think these unions generally also want assurances that there won't be massive uh, layoffs or, or, or salary cuts or salary freezes. Um, it all depends, again, on the strength of the union. So that so in some cases, the, the demands might be more minimal, but, you know, in the case of a, you know, a district like Washington, D.C., the demands are, are, are considerable and not really in line with nationwide what public health officials have recommended. Let me ask you this. The, are there any studies suggesting, I mean, I, I don't have any empirical evidence, but certainly anecdotal watching my own uh, kids study virtually and attend school virtually it doesn't seem that the the level or caliber of education is there. But as a parent, I look at it and say, I don't think they're learning as much. My kids say, dad, it's actually the same. Uh, now, I, I think there's a built-in bias there, right? I mean, they don't want to go to school. But do you have any empirical evidence to suggest that the education kids are receiving virtually uh, is impaired or inferior to what they would get if they attended school? You know, I think the best research on this is just research on virtual education in general that was done prior to the pandemic. We know that virtual education, when it depends on kind of the student groups that are participating in it. So virtual K through 12 for more affluent or middle class students who have pretty good um, family or home circumstances they can stay at pace with what the, the, the learning that they would be receiving in person. What we do know about virtual education is that it is um, particularly difficult for low-income and disadvantaged students to keep up with the normal learning pace that they would receive with in-person learning. So um, Christian, I think Christian, that... Christian, is that because they don't have the technology at home to allow them to connect and interact as seamlessly as, as more fluent families? Or is that because they don't have the, the, the familial support structure uh, that maybe more fluent families have? Well, so there is an issue now of internet access, but the studies on virtual education prior to the pandemic they were more looking at just general learning outcomes, assuming that students participating have the right technological setup. So I would say it's more because of these factors about accountability at home, making sure they're staying on track with their studies. Say they have you know, a single parent household or two parents who are both working long hours during the day, that's naturally going to bleed into um, accountability with their studies, accountability that would probably be a little better 
if they were in schools in person. But I mean, uh, there's anecdotally, there's certainly a lot of uh, cases where students and, and teachers even are saying that there are some students who are doing really well under current current virtual education. Um, so it's uh, it's not a super clear picture at the moment. Amazing. Uh, we have about one minute left, uh, Christian. Let me ask you this. Homeschooling, charter schools, uh, again, anecdotally, I see these stories about uh, homeschooling uh, receiving this big influx of, of students from parents who mm-hmm. are saying, uh, we're not going to do this another year. What is your research showing you? Is homeschooling experiencing uh, a period of growth right now? Is it an alternative to the public school system? Yeah, homeschooling, I think most recent measures are that homeschooling has about doubled nationwide, which is wow. which is a big influx. Same with private schooling. So it's not just that a lot of families are switching to homeschooling, but private schools are very, are much more likely to be open right now during the pandemic. They're they're more likely than not to be open during the pandemic, actually. And so that gives parents, um, they say, well, I want my kids in, in in-person classes, so they send them to private schools. So um, teachers unions might be overplaying their hands here because Families are starting to go to homeschooling and private schooling. So uh, we'll see how that go ahead. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Christian. And and if if you can go to the WashingtonPost.com. Christian Bernard has a great article about teachers unions and what's really happening behind the scenes. Christian, thank you for joining us. We'll be back right after this break. 